0: knows that God corrects those he loves. That was some correction this morning. Willie started, you tricked us, man. Where'd he go? William tricked us, man, talking to the kids. And I was thinking, oh, they don't know. And then he flipped it on us because it's our fault. <laughs> I was like, dang. But I received that correction, man. After he brought that forth, I received that correction because I know God corrects those he loves. It's funny everything that's being said this morning because, you know, we had a a bit of a rough morning just with the kids and just, you know, it's exactly what you were talking about. I didn't wake up skipping and singing and dancing and, hey, kids, I didn't, it wasn't like that. (laughs) It wasn't, you know, it was like, Kaya, stop crying, get your pants on, and she's freaking out. And kids are in the kitchen making a mess, and it's just crazy. I didn't, have, I wasn't all joyful, you know. So, I had to go in the office this morning during worship and and just get my thoughts together. And I and I looked up and I saw this this thing that a son and a daughter made me prophetically. They made it for us, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to bring it out to encourage myself. And it just seems like that's where we're at. We just need to, sometimes you got to encourage yourself. And I brought it out because of what it represents and what they prophetically spoke. And so I brought it out so I could set it right here just to encourage myself, just to remember that I'm in God's hands and the life that he chose for me, if that's what he chose for me, then I'm going to live that life to my fullest ability. I'm going to own it. I'm going to look at it as a blessing. And so... Um, just know, I'm up here encouraging myself this morning, so it's okay. sometimes you gotta encourage yourself, sometimes you gotta remind yourself God is good, but um I just wanted to uh, yeah, stop picking my nose. Um, I've said it before many times, but it's it's worth saying it again that we can know who God is. We can know who God is. Oh, you know Jesus? Yeah, I know who Jesus is. But to take it to another level of understanding how God is is what can really make a difference in somebody's life. Because when I go, when you leave, it's like you were talking about this morning. How many people have heard people say, I was, watch, I was reading comments about President Trump making Jerusalem the capital of Israel, and you hear all these all this dissent I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of comments. One comment, oh, President Trump, I love him. God's, you know, great, praise God. The next person, how could you? How dare you? You're Satan. It's crazy. It's crazy. And then one of the comments that struck me, that always kind of strikes me, and guaranteed you'll confront this if you haven't already, as a witness, well, how could God allow such darkness and suffering? What kind of God is that? And when you go out and you meet people and you represent Christ and you witness and you talk about Jesus and they're like, yeah, I know Jesus. I know who he is. But the difference is how God is is introduced to them when you talk to them. It's not just what you say, but how you are can dictate and make that distinction. I know who Jesus is and I've heard of him, but the way that you're coming at me right now, I don't really understand it. And that's how God is. So we have an opportunity every time because you could be dealing with the darkest circumstances, but the God that I know and how he is is that you could have unspeakable joy in the midst of those circumstances because the world doesn't know. If you don't know Jesus, the world doesn't know that they're destined for darkness and destruction. They don't know that that's their destiny. So when you come at them in the middle of your circumstances and you say, you don't understand, you're destined for this, but I have unspeakable joy in the midst of that, they can get a glimpse of how God is. Because I can talk about, oh, you know. I can say, do you know my wife? Do you know Tanya? You know, Tanya, but you may not know how she is. You're learning, (laughs) (laughs) but every time we, every time we meet somebody and we're a witness for Jesus, it's not enough to just say, do you know, Jesus, you have to act in a way according to your words. So they can understand how God is. What kind of God would just allow darkness and suffering? They have to. You have to get past that, and they have to gain an understanding by your love and your action that they begin to understand how God is. I was thinking about it this morning. My wife. She asked me to iron her shirt. I'm the one that irons everything for everybody in the house. I can't stand like wrinkles. Amen. That's kingdom. (laughs) It's kingdom. I don't like wrinkles. I'd like it to be without spot and wrinkles. So I got it pressed and everything. And so I iron in the house. And so I was thinking about it this morning. This thought occurred to me when I was ironing my wife's shirt, and I was ironing this part right here on the shoulder. And I got to make sure I iron it and I get it because my wife doesn't like hanger marks. You know how when you hang a shirt, it gets that little pointy thing right there? I got to, I'm like a pro at getting hanger marks out because I understand how my wife is. You may know her, but you don't know how she is. But until I relate to you and I tell you and I say, let me tell you about how my wife is. And I tell you about the hanger marks and how she can't stand it. She'll, her day will be messed up if I don't get the hanger marks out of her shirt. How many of you guys knew that? How many of you guys knew that? You didn't know that. Get out of here. <laughs> But do you get what I'm saying? I could talk about Jesus. I could witness to a whole group of people. And if I'm not relating how God is through my actions, then what are we missing? And so last week we talked about authority in in the week before that belief in the midst of unbelief and before that character and integrity and God wants us to understand not only who he is but live a life according to how he is we need to be a witness and a testimony to how God is because you could know Jesus you could know Buddha you could know the Dalai Lama you could know uh you could know uh, Allah you could know all of them but how are they And so when you meet people, we got to understand that difference. And I believe God has been putting us in a position with what he's been ministering to walk in a manner according to how God is. And so this morning, I want to. I want to talk about it's something simple, but it's so powerful because I believe these principles will will take us to a place of living a life according to how God is, because when we meet people, they're going to be confronted by how our experience of God and who he is and how that affects our life and how we love people so if you got your Bible turn to John five, nineteen through 20 and as we're turning there it's just the thought that came to my mind this morning was that we need to live a covenant life and when you know who God is, it's not enough to bridge the gap between knowing who He is and living a covenant life. Walking a covenant life. You guys are about to get married, you're about to walk and live a covenant life. Right? It's not enough to just say you know him. You guys know each other right now. But you're gonna know how each other is hard. <laughs> It's like when I went to college, I knew my best friend for years, but then when I lived with him, it was a whole other thing. John chapter 5, verse 19, the authority of the Son. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. This is a kingdom principle. This is a how God is thing. Because we can can understand from this that Jesus only did what he saw his father doing. And if we want to be righteous and holy and godly people, then we can look to Jesus to see what God wants us to do. Amen? Amen? We can look at Jesus. He was the word made flesh. Literally, logos, logos can be interpreted as doctrine. Jesus was heavenly doctrine. We can look at Jesus to line everything up to Jesus to see what is holy and righteous, and we can look to him and imitate Jesus to find out what God was doing, what's kingdom. We can look at Jesus. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. So if you turn to John chapter 1, John chapter 1 the word became flesh. We're going to talk about commitment this morning and how God is. It's a different it's a different type of it's a deeper level, it's a different type of dynamic that we're talking about this morning. Last week we talked about kingdom authority in the midst of being subjected to worldly authority. There's so many there's so many contradictions, and that's, that's why it's a mystery. There's so many paradoxes and contradictions with the gospel. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I'm I'm praying that I can convey this right because I believe it's very simple, but it's very powerful for us to understand everything that God wants to move us into. So it says, and the word became flesh. Now, when you talk about what's the greatest love on the face of the earth, what does scripture say? What's the greatest love? One who lays down their life for his brother. And Jesus laid his life down. He died. But when did he die? When did he die? What? (laughs) He died on the cross, right? And we always think about Jesus' death on the cross. So we know that the greatest love is one who will lay his life down. But I want to submit to you that when it says that the word became flesh, that Jesus literally appeared in history, So there was a transaction when the word became flesh, when Jesus was born, there was a transaction in history where God emptied himself. He made heaven void of something and emptied himself into the earth. And he went from eternal supernatural thing to a timely, natural, mortal thing when he became flesh, when he was born. And the word says that he's the beginning of the end. He's the beginning and the last. He's the alpha, the omega. So I would submit to you that when Jesus, when the word became flesh, he entered into a timely natural realm and death comes with that. So when he became flesh, his death was already in that when he was born into this earth. Because he's the beginning and the end. He's the same thing. His death was the same thing as his birth because that had to do with his destiny. Does that make sense? And so when we look at Jesus, the heavenly doctrine, heaven was emptied. He became flesh. He, became, he came into existence and appeared in history. He emptied heaven, a place of eternity, and put himself into a place of time. So he made himself natural, and natural, when the word becomes flesh, that word flesh means subject to sin. Amen? We talked about what are you submitted to and what are you subject to. God, all of eternity in the kingdom of heaven, made himself subject to sin. And so when he did that, when you make yourself subject to sin, death is inevitable. So when he laid himself down, it wasn't just on the cross. It was the fact that he made himself natural. He laid his, his life down at that point. When, he, when word became flesh, he made himself natural. He laid himself down right then. It wasn't just on the cross. Because he's the beginning and the end. He is the living prophetic and everything in the word is all wrapped up in Jesus. So when he made himself flesh, he knew Death was, was imminent. He lived a life 33 years long, but he laid himself down when he became flesh. Does that make sense? So that's why I ask, when did Jesus die? Yes, he died on the cross. Yes, his life was over on the cross. But when it talks about the greatest love, that isn't just a picture of the cross. That's a picture of him making himself flesh and subject to sin. Now, this is where we talk about how God is. If we only look at Jesus on the cross, we're missing something because he was operating in a mentality in a, in a such a kingdom way that the greatest love t- known to man was already introduced to mankind when he was a baby. It, didn't just, it wasn't just an instant on the cross that the greatest love was expressed. The greatest love was expressed when he was made flesh. That's how God is. And so, that's a powerful verse. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is, the, that is God. Very, the very God of all the universe and eternity was expressing the greatest love known to mankind when it said, And the word became flesh and he dwelt among us as a baby. So consider that. Let that sink in. And as we consider that, think about this. When you, when God chose you and he gave you eternal life, when you answered the call, when you answered that call, God introduced you into a kingdom way of government a kingdom, society. He introduced you into, he made you a citizen of a whole different place. Amen. And the way that that place operates, there's principles according to how God is. You can, you can, if you're born again, you can no longer just simply know who Jesus is. Like most of you can know who Tanya is, but you don't know how she is. Right? I can know who William is. William can say, oh, uh, do you know so-and-so? And I could say, yeah, I know who he is, but I've never met him. I have no idea how that person is. Before we got married, I didn't, we didn't know how each other were, but that covenant living made us understand a, 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 a lifestyle to a degree that we know. I know how she is more than anybody else, even her own parents. I know how my children are. They know how I am. So when we get introduced and we get born again into this new kingdom, into this new uh, this new nation that we live in, this new Jerusalem, we have to understand how God is. And when we understand that, we can come back to earth and operate in a certain way where you really can be in the midst of the most gross darkness, the most terrible circumstances, and you can have unspeakable joy because of what's set before you. So... This is something that we have to understand. There's something that God wants to set your mind upon because transformation comes by the renewing of your mind, yes? And that's what I have so much passion for, what we set our minds upon because that's going to set a course. If you set your mind on something negative, guess what? That kingdom principle still works. It's still going to transform you just into whatever your mind is set upon. So God wants to download something that we can set our minds upon that he's the beginning and the end. The greatest love known to the face of the earth was not just expressed on the cross at the end of his life. It was expressed at the beginning. So when God calls you and he calls you to go somewhere, there's something that we have to understand. Will you? It cracks me up at the very last thing you said. How you, how you enter is how you leave, or how you leave is how you enter. And I wrote it in my notes. You can look at my notepad. How, how many times have we thought that? Look, if I quit a job and I'm trying to get another job, make sure you quit right. Make sure you do it right because that's how you're going to set yourself up to enter into the next one. But I want to flip it on you because God is saying that how you enter into what he calls you to is going to dictate how you leave. Because he entered in already laying his life down. He entered in. God emptied himself of eternity and made himself flesh. He already laid it down. He entered in that way. And so when God calls you and you get all excited and you're like, send me, I want to do this. I want to do that. You have to know that what God called you to, you have to be in the, in the, in the mental state that you're, I'm laying my life down right now. Because guaranteed you're going to be confronted by things and you're going to be like, I didn't sign up for this. You have to go in already laying your life aside or you're, you're going you're to undermine everything. Jesus knew when he made himself flesh, when God made himself flesh and the word became flesh, he knew what Jesus was going to come against. There was no guessing. That's why at the wedding when he did the first miracle, he said, it's not my time yet. He already knew what he was going to do. So when we're entering into something, what has God called you to Everybody has a call. Everybody has a destiny. But you have to link your mindset with that greatest love known to mankind, that it's the beginning and the end. Jesus didn't just find himself upon a cross and had the revelation that, oh, man, I'm going to lay my life down. They don't know what they're doing. He didn't have that revelation on the cross. He had it when God made him a baby. So we have to understand when God calls you, you have to operate in such a mindset that you're laying your life down at the beginning, setting your life aside. Rowan, come here, stand up real quick. <laughs> this is me. This is me talking to me, okay? I'm talking to myself. If I'm talking to myself and I'm, all I'm worried about is myself, Man, Rowan, you had a rough day today. You should feel bad for yourself. You should, maybe you should go uh, buy something or, you know, maybe drink, drink some drinks. You'll feel better. Smoke something, whatever. You know, maybe this is just how we, how we concern ourselves with ourself. Right? Hey, you had a rough day, man. They don't understand you. You just, you just worry about you. Don't worry about them. You know what I'm saying? That's how we, if we're concerned with ourself, that's how we operate. Jesus didn't find himself on a cross and just concern himself with himself. Anita, come here. You stand right here, okay? Anita, you're not me. Rowan's me. I'm talking to me. And you're you. <laughs> okay? Okay. <laughs> So Jesus knew because it wasn't just about his death. He laid his life down for the sake of what? For the sake of others. So if I'm called and, I'm, and I know we have a destiny, we know what it is and we step out on it. We're all excited. God called you to do this, called you to go on a mission to wherever, called you to write a book. We're all excited about it. But then when the circumstances hit, When the trials come, not if, but when, when the trials come, if all I'm concerned about is myself and not others, then I'm going to fold under the circumstances. That's why Jesus knew what his destiny was for the sake of others. So even in his death, he knew he was giving everybody eternal life. So when the circumstances confront me, then I can understand that it's also about others, not just me. Does that make sense? You guys can sit down. And then you add children into the mix of it. You add Judah into the mix of it. And then you're talking about not only for the sake of others, but for the sake of your own legacy that God called you to. But we can be surrounded with all these others, and we can still only be concerned with ourselves. And if we don't operate from that mindset in the beginning, then we're not going to fulfill our destiny. Because guaranteed, if you don't lay your life aside from the beginning from the alpha, from the beginning, from the first, if you don't lay your life down, when that when that life confronts you, because it will, right? It will. When it confronts you and slaps you across the face, you're going to fold. So that's what I wanted to convey this morning. And we have to God has been ministering in such a powerful way that we can understand how he is and how he moves and how in the midst of craziness or chaos or destruction or depression, you can have unspeakable joy. Because I guarantee you, when you go and witness to somebody and you say, do you know who Jesus is? And they say, yeah, I know who he is, but I got this and this and this going on. And you can say, I got this and this and this going on too, but I got this joy that you never knew before. And they're going to say, how? Because we understand how God is. And that's what he's giving us, a gift to operate in how he is. This is a kingdom principle. When you lay your life down, the greatest love known to man, one who would lay his life down for another. He didn't just do it on the cross. That was the finished work. But he started it when the word became flesh. So when you think about what God called you and he births something in you, You better lay your life down. When he burns something in you, Linda, the first, the greatest love known to man is directly linked to the beginning of what God called you to do. Just like it is in the end. Do we get God is God is trying to equip us? I'm, I'm so fired up about this because I want to live a covenant life. I want to understand, I want to make it to the finished work to where he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, because I had the mindset in the beginning to carry me through. Because I guarantee if you're not willing to lay your life aside, the greatest love known to man, embodied in Jesus Christ, if you're not willing to do that from the very beginning, you won't make it to the finished work of what God called you to do. There's a finished work God wants in Flagstaff. I was talking to Apostle Ken. He said, I heard God say, I was just talking to him about what's going on and and just having a conversation with my spiritual father. And he said, I heard God say, I'm going to rescue the intent for Flagstaff. Come on. That means that at some point, the destiny and the intent for Flagstaff was robbed or touched or molested or whatever. God said, I'm going to rescue my intent for Flagstaff. Mm. so how are we gonna position ourselves we have to be a people that understands not only who our father is but how he is and we gotta understand that whatever your call is whatever your destiny is because Jesus only saw what he what he, he only did what he saw his father doing and we need to do what we see Jesus doing that means that we gotta lay our life down at the beginning of our walk You don't just get called and born again into this kingdom realm in this nation and then you get a destiny and you walk it out. And then at some point you decide, I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to I'll go ahead and make that decision now because it doesn't work like that. Amen. So I want to. I want to activate this. And just for us to get in a place where we can repent and we can recommit and we can understand how God is. Because that affects everything. If you haven't yet fully decided to fully jump in and fully say, you know what? I'm really going to commit to this and I'm really going to lay my life down. Let me put it to you this way. Whatever has happened to you in your Christian life. I don't think you can really assess it and say, man, what really went wrong? Because I can look at things in my Christian walk and I could just, I could easily say if I'm swayed by the circumstances, what happened? What went wrong? But we have to understand that if we're so committed, it's not just about dying. It's dying for the sake of people having resurrection life. You know you're going to be persecuted with Christ. You're going to suffer with him. Amen. Do we know that? But that's where, that's where you can, at the same time, the word does say you can have unspeakable joy because he called you to that. He called you to go low with him, to go high with him. It doesn't just stop at his death. He called us to lay our lives down for the sake of others having resurrection life. And so it doesn't just stop there. But sometimes, if we don't have that mindset, we can easily look at our Christian walk and the persecution that's going to come and say, Well, what happened? What's wrong with me? What happened to me? Then you start going down the road of of playing the victim and victimhood. Amen. Jesus was whipped and tortured and brutally beaten, but he was never a victim. He was never a victim because he knew what he was called to and he knew that when he fulfilled his destiny and that work was finished, he knew what was going to happen. He was submitted to God the whole time he was subjected to worldly kings. And so if this bears witness with you, we need to recommit about what this Christian walk is about and what our life, who it really belongs to. And we need to really commit and really examine ourselves about where we're at with that. Because God's about to rescue his intent for Flagstaff, but it requires a group of witnesses that are willing to go to people and not just say, oh, do you know who Jesus is? Yeah, you do. Okay, God bless you. You need to move in faith without works is dead. I have faith in Jesus, and if I just tell you, but I don't move in it, then what is that worth? We need to start thinking in a way, not who does God want me to talk to today, but what does he want me to do when I talk to them? And I believe maybe it's just for me, but I believe this isn't just, I believe this is for more people, that we're at a place where we don't have unspeakable joy and we're not walking in it because we haven't truly chosen to lay our lives aside from the beginning. But it's not too late. We can decide right now. We can recommit right now. Just between you and the Lord. It doesn't have to be a big show. It don't have to be a big laying hands and getting all crazy. But this is a real deal, real commitment. Come on, is this bearing witness with anybody? Do we want to live a covenant life? Do we want to spend, do we want to lose any amount of time not living a covenant life while we profess Jesus Christ? If you haven't fully laid your life down, when you consider your call, if you haven't fully laid your life down, we're missing it. But there's still time. We could lay it down right now. Because if you want the finished work of what God called you to do, it requires you embodying the greatest love known to man right now. You have to lay it down in the beginning. Amen? Jesus didn't just, on his way to the cross, oh, I'm going to lay my life down for the sake of eternal life for these people. He knew it. He knew it even as a baby. Amen. So whatever that looks like, if you got to get on your face, if you got to cry out to the Lord, but you—even if you don't know—you, you—I I beseech you to truly examine your heart of if you've laid your life down or not. I'm begging you, don't leave without doing that.
1: I just felt like <clears throat> reading this because it's almost a. For me, I have to take the word and then make it practical. So when you said to lay your life down in the beginning, even if it's a matter of when we wake up, if you look at salvation in the context of 24 hours, sometimes we have the mindset of, well, when I get to that place, then I'll lay my life down versus waking up in, I'm laying my life down now then when the circumstances come you're not going to go why am I laying my life down for this because you already made the decision to lay your life down it's like when you get engaged it's not a it's not a trial and error well we're going to get married and then I'll decide if it works out you laid your life down before amen when I walked down the aisle I had no idea what I was walking down to but I was all excited excited but I chose to lay my life down for better or worse. It's a simple covenant action. Because when, I, if I had known, I'm telling you right now, had I known what I was walking down to, and it does not mean that you're not awesome, but had I known what I was walking into before I walked down that aisle, my answer to the proposal would have been no. I almost said a cuss word. It would have been absolutely not. Had he said, will you marry me and all of his flowers and this amazing ring and, and presented this picture, had I known the real picture, I, I would have said no. And the Lord told me that after we got married. He said, I didn't tell you what you were walking into because you were so self-righteous. I knew you would have said no. So sometimes when you wake up in the morning and in that covenant with him, he's not going to tell you what you're about to face. Because he knows if he told you, you'd probably say no. So when you wake up with that mindset of I'm laying my life down, but here's the thing, not a lot of people want to go through that. They want to know when it works, then if. But it's going to take a remnant of people to hold on to the promise of what he said about the redeemed work of Flagstaff, and do you believe it? Because when we all get confronted with the circumstances, every single one of us could say, nah, nah, never mind. Right? But if you say yes, and you know the joy set before you because you understand a covenant mindset, then it doesn't matter what you face because you you continually declare the prophecy of what you knew when you first said yes. So when it hits the fan in our marriage... I prophesy in what he showed me when I walked down that aisle, because that's the promise. I don't have to be subject or submitted to the circumstances that have surrounded me because I know what he showed me when I said yes. Does that make sense? It's going to take a remnant of people in the midst of circumstances to say, but this is what you said about Flagstaff. This is what you said about the region. This is what you said about earth. So I'm going to read to you what he said about earth. This is the reason why we can't sit and pick our noses and only look at our circumstances. Because then trust me, if you take one look into our daily walk in our marriage, it ain't pretty all the time. But I can stand on the promise of what he said about our marriage or else I would have never said yes. There was an ordained reason why we're together. So the reason why I feel like reading this is because I opened up my Bible, Jennifer can to attest to it, and right next to Joel 2, there is a huge fat piece of glitter. And then it's the middle seam of my Bible. It's weird. I've never noticed that before. I read Joel 2 all the time. But that's not the middle of my Bible. Is that weird? Like I'm seeing the middle seam of my Bible and it's not the middle of my Bible. So anyways, I feel like I'm supposed to read this. And I feel like what he's saying is, is Jesus knew the joy set before him, which is why he was able to come and subject himself to sin in the first place. Because he said yes beforehand. So he wasn't wavered to and fro when he had decided to lay down his life. This breaks religion. When he says, I beseech you, what you're doing is you're committing yourself to getting away from religion. Because what religion says is get your stuff together, figure it out, and then commit. It's a hierarchy. When you get to the age of 33 and you're allowed to be on the cross, then maybe you can pray corporately. Versus when he laid his life down as a baby, he had everything within the kingdom. It's completely backwards of what religion will say. Someday I'll get to my destiny. What if your destiny was yesterday? Someday I'll do this. Well, what if you were supposed to do it yesterday? It's... It's a remnant that's going to believe the prophecy. So I don't know how many of you guys know this, but Joel 2 is written again. Do you guys know that? How many of you did not know that? Joel 2 is an Old Testament prophecy that is rewritten in Acts 2. This is how real the word is. You want to read the Old Testament? It will be spoken again in the gospels when jesus preached did you guys know that jesus preached the red writing the jewish prophecies from 500 years prior did you guys know that he studied the word as he grew up and he prophesied and he preached at the temple the old testament words so when you're reading prophecies in the old testament you might as well make them red this is why it's prophecy so then in acts 2 the early church they're preaching it again this is after jesus died And it's still coming up. The word became flesh. It was spoken again in Acts 2. We are the church in action. Yes, we are the the fifth gospel. That's me. So when I read Acts, it becomes real to me. But then I realize that I read in Acts that it was something that was in Joel. So I'm going to read this. This is a promise. Then the Lord became jealous for his land of Flagstaff and had pity on his people the lord answered and said to his people behold i'm sending to you grain wine and oil and you will be satisfied and i will no more make you a reproach among the nations i'll remove the northerner far from you and drive him to a parched and desolate land his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea and the stench and foul smell of him will rise for he has done great things fear not o land be glad and rejoice. Again, this is not about you. You were sent to a land for the Lord has done great things. Fear not you beasts of the field for the pastures of the wilderness are green and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and vine give their full yield. Be glad O children of Zion and rejoice in the Lord, your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain, as before. The threshing floor shall be full of grain, the vat shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. You can read that and go, oh, well, that's Old Testament. But I just told you Jesus spoke it, and then Peter spoke it in Acts. How many want res- restoration of the years the locusts have stolen? Have the locusts stolen anything in your life? Have the years been stolen? Are we going to subject ourselves and submit ourselves to the circumstances here on this earth? Or are we going to say, I already committed. I already said yes. Doesn't matter what it looks like. I didn't come from this world. So let me go back to where I came from. See what he actually says because I was sent here for a reason. Just like Jesus did when he was a baby. He, he had laid down his life immediately because he knew what the prophecy was in heaven. He went to heaven, figured out what was going on, then came down to earth and made it happen. All right, let's keep going. The threshing floor shall be full of grain. The vat shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You've been put to shame? You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. Little insert here. Joy is offensive. Why? Because people think that because I have joy, that means there's nothing wrong in my life. And I actually don't have compassion on them because they've got all this junk in their life. That's why it's offensive. People don't realize that I am joyful in the midst of my destruction. People think because I'm in joy that that means I haven't been put to shame. People think that because I'm in joy, it means I don't have any issues. Or that nothing's been stolen in my life or nothing's happened that's wrong. Because joy in the world is only when things are going your way That's what joy in the world looks like you have joy in the world when everything's going right It's easy to have joy when everything's going right when it's not going right is when it's hard to have joy But when you walk a life with jesus, then you literally have supernatural joy in the midst of destruction But the world's gonna look at you and be offensive because they're gonna be like, oh, yeah, well you got it all together I don't well, that's not true It just doesn't look like it because I'm not playing the victim card. I'm not going to whine and cry because that's not Jesus. All right. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved." For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. If you're a remnant people, then you believe in the prophecy of what he said about this land and you hold on to that prophecy and you don't get swayed to and fro based on the circumstances right in front of you.